Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 11, 12 through 25. The next day, they went out from Bethany. He was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teachings. Whenever, or I'm sorry, when evening came, they would go to the city, or they would go out of the city. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. When Peter remembered, he said to them, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that he or what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all got to bear with me. I got a, I got a cold today. <clears throat> so pray for me. I pray that I can get through this. <clears throat> um, so we're continuing uh, through the book of Mark. Let me, let me chomp on this cough drop here for a minute. <laughs> all right. So it's always good to see you all. Um, one of the things that uh, the Lord has been laying on my heart recently, and, and I, I've actually seen it in the hearts of various people here, is just a concern uh, with missions and discipleship. Last week, I had a couple of conversations with folks that were talking about going on their first missions trip, and I was like, do it. And uh, this morning, I was talking to a brother uh, who was uh, really thinking about missions and unreached people groups, and even see our brother George uh, concerned about reaching folks here. I want us to be about discipleship. I want us to be about mission. It's one of the fundamental things in our vision statement, that we are to produce disciples. And I think that the Lord is, is giving that burden more and more to our church, and I'm, I'm praying and asking the Lord that he would continue to do that. And we have developed different tools to do that, but I, I am a firm believer in this, that you have to have a desire to do something before I teach you how to do something. If I just teach you how to do something and you don't want to do it, that was a waste of both of our time. 
However, if you begin with the desire for people near and far to know Christ, then I think that's something that our church can work with and equip you towards. Um, We always pray for the kingdom of God to come. Apostle Paul defines the kingdom of God in Romans 14. He says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Why would we not want those around us and those far away from us to have righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit? That should be our prayer. and We should ask God to burden us for that. And I believe that as he burdens us and as we get equipped, we can begin to accomplish that task both here and far away. So I'm just thankful to see that at work in the congregation. I'm praying that it continues. Let's get to the text. Have you ever bought a bad batch of fruit? Yeah. Okay. Listen, we have a little, uh, there's a little section of my kitchen that just has fruit in it. And sometimes I'll stick my hand in there to get like an apple. And if I touch a mushy part, like my stomach goes, it just just feels nasty. You know And I'm like? Oh man, I don't want this apple. And I throw the apple away and I'm kind of mad because then we wasted money on the apple. You know what I'm saying? We expect that the fruit we purchase, we expect that it would be ripe and that it would be good, that it wouldn't be mushy, it wouldn't taste nasty or weird. Now, similarly, you would expect that the fruit off of a tree would be ripe and good. If the, if the fruit on the tree, if something's wrong with it, something's wrong with the tree itself. And what we learn from this passage is that Jesus wants to see faith that produces the fruit of prayer and forgiveness. Jesus wants to see faith that produces in our lives the fruit of prayer and forgiveness. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Help us to understand your word. Your word is holy, good, perfect, pure. It enlightens us, makes us understand who you are, what you have done for us, and how we can respond. So would you speak to us corporately and individually by your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In your name, amen. As we look at the first three verses, we understand that Jesus wants his disciples to bear good fruit. Verse 12, it says, the next day they went out from Bethany. He was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, The moral of the story is not Jesus hates fig trees, okay? It's not like he's like, I just hate all the fig trees. Because there's clues in the story that this is pointing more more to a principle. The text already notes. It says says he went up to the tree. He looked at the fig tree. There was no figs, but it it said it wasn't in season. So ironically, it wasn't wasn't expected that there would be fruit on there for that season. So that, that means that Jesus is pointing to something more than a story about figs. Actually, he is pointing to a deeper truth. I love that God uses all kinds of ways, all kinds of ways. Yeah, that boy, he stays loud, don't he? Uh, I said, can you learn how to sneeze quieter? He says, I don't know how. Uh, anyway, we know you're here. Uh, God teaches us in a variety of ways. 
He teaches us through uh, direct statements, through figures of speech, through imagery. God draws near to speak to us. What's beautiful is that, that, that God speaks in such a way that no matter how your makeup is, you can understand him. Now, I'm a person who likes facts. I want A, B, C, and D. Other people, they learn through images. They learn through story. And right here we see an example that Jesus is teaching us through imagery so that all people can understand what he's saying. If we understand something about the Old Testament, we know that this metaphor of a tree that doesn't bear fruit actually has a long history. Matter of fact, the prophet Micah says in chapter 7, verse 1 of Micah, he says, How sad for me, for I am like the one who, when the summer fruit has been gathered after the gleaning of the grape harvest, finds no grape cluster to eat, no early fig which I crave. He's personifying Israel. He's like, listen, when it's time to bear fruit, I don't bear fruit. And then he goes on to explain what that means. In the next verse, he says, faithful people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. So he tells the, the figure of speech is, when I look at my people, when I look around at the community, when I look at the people who are supposed to be God's people, I don't see fruit, i.e., I don't see the fruits of righteousness, of peace, of love. And this is a frustrating and mind-boggling thing because when I look at a tree, I should see good fruit. Fruit, in a sense, is the candy of the ancients. You can't go get Skittles from the market, Okay. But you can get some fruit. Maybe for real, real uh, 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 lucky, you get some dry fruit. Nonetheless, God saved the people that he and them could enjoy the treats of their good works. Have you ever done something good and then felt good about it? There's something beautiful about the, the reward of good works actually is in the good work. That you feel the likeness and closeness of God. Yet his people did not produce the joy of good works but rather the disappointing pain of sin. And not only in the Old Testament, Jesus in other places refers to people as trees with either good or bad fruit. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. That's a, that's, a, that's a really intense statement if you understand the metaphor behind that. It says trees that produce bad fruit are no good, that they will be judged with fire. What's he pointing to? He's pointing to people who produce bad fruit, the fruit of sin, and that there is a judgment that comes from that. Jesus judges those who do not bear good fruit, and this points to the scene. He wasn't talking about a, it wasn't about a fig. He was doing, in a sense, uh, he was acting out in a dramatic way, a teaching that had been around for a while. I see this tree. It should produce good fruit because that's the kind of tree I've made it to be. But it's not producing that fruit. And it's cursed. Jesus judges trees that don't produce good fruit. Jesus judges people who don't produce good fruit. And we actually see another picture of this in the next scene how Jesus is judging faulty worship in the temple. In verse 15, it says, they came to Jerusalem. He went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Metaphorically, Jesus enters the religious tree of Israel and doesn't like the fruit that he sees. See, see, the, the fountain of, of the spiritual life of Israel was the temple itself. And he went into the temple and he saw the fruit and he didn't like it. That, that statement, he didn't like it, is almost an understatement, right? If you walk up to someone and you start throwing furniture around, you, you don't just a little bit not like it. You are incredibly frustrated with what you see. In this scene, we can see the type of bad fruit that really angers and frustrates Jesus. See, in the scene, Jesus judges the irreverent worship. Now, I don't know what you think about a market. You might think about like a calm mall, but, but this is not a calm mall. This is a, a market. When I've been to a market in, in another country that, that, that didn't have as, uh, as much, uh, 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 what am I trying to say? See, I'm, I'm sick. Y'all better pray for me. I've been, I've been in a market in another country where it has been very loud, okay? It's very loud, and there's a lot of bartering. Have you ever bartered with somebody? That is not a calm thing, okay? <laughs> like, as a matter of fact, you, you can get about about it when you barter. I, I, listen, one time I bartered so hard, they wouldn't sell it to me. Anyway, uh, listen, so imagine, imagine you're, you're coming into the place of worship, and somebody's like, no, $5, no, tip. How are you going to have any type of reverent worship in a scene like that? Not only was there bartering, but listen, I don't know if y'all know this, but animals aren't quiet. <laughs> you know, they're selling animals. They're, you know, they're not clean either, right? They're selling animals. There's, there's the, 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 the doves are making noise. All these animals are making noise. Listen, this is not a place where you can enter and have focus. This is not a place where you can enter and have honor to the Lord. Jesus is saying, no, God deserves reverence and worship. And not only does he judge their their posture of irreverent worship, Jesus judges the ethnic discrimination happening here. So let me explain something. This market was happening in something called the court of the Gentiles. There There were kind of three places in the temple. And the most outer place was the court of Gentiles, meaning this, is that if you were an un, uh, uncircumcised person, that's the only place you could go. So let's say, let's say if you were a Gentile, an ethnic outsider who was interested about the God of Israel, and you wanted to go to the temple, that's the only part of the temple you could go. And then the only part of the temple you could go there's bartering, there's loud noises, a lack of reverence. Basically, basically, God could have been calling people to himself, but their lack of reverence pushed away the religious other. If I was curious about the God of Israel, but I had not converted yet, I haven't gone through the rites of conversion, I might want to go to the temple, but the only place I can go to the temple is a place where they're wilding out. We need to make sure that our community is, is welcoming and understanding and understandable to all. That was the issue. All the way in the Old Testament, God said that, his, his, that Israel would be a, a nation of priests, meaning that they would connect people to God. But the way that they were behaving was the very people whom would be curious about God and come to the temple, enter the scene in which they could not focus at all. Not only that, Jesus judges the religious financial abuse. 
He says that it is a den of thieves. What's going on here? So in order to, to give money to the temple, you had to have uh, money that didn't have um, uh, uh, pagan things on it. So you had to exchange the money so that you could give the appropriate money in the temple. And what I think is going on here, what Jesus is identifying is that these money changers must have been charging unfair interest rates. In other words, they were doing an intense upcharge because the only way that you would give to the temple is if you went through these money changers. And Jesus is frustrated with them. This is the only way they could give to God. Yet the people standing in the way were going to go in other people's pockets in order for that to happen. They were putting up financial obstacles to worship God. This is what the, the prosperity gospel does, does it not? Give enough money and God will like you and accept you. If Jesus were listening to a message like that, I don't know if the pews would be where they are right now. Jesus is, is, is judging the tree, the religious tree of Israel, that is not bearing the fruit that it should, just as he judged that fig tree. This fruit should be pleasing, should be welcoming, should be honoring to the God of Israel. It should be, be calling others to worship him, but instead it was displaying a lack of faith, a lack of care, a lack of reverence. And Jesus judges it. What's interesting in, in verse 18, like, like when someone comes up in, in, in your space and begins to make accusations about what you are and who you're doing, you actually have an opportunity to go, wait, well, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. It's not like that. But if you look at verse 18, that's not what happened. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. What we, what we get here is that, that those who are hypocritical hate the judgments of Jesus. Listen, if Jesus would have said, y'all are stealing, could they not have said, no, we're not, could they not have said that? We ain't stealing nothing. No, that, they didn't say that. Obviously, something was going on. Listen, listen, that's what you would do if someone lied about you. Hold up. He's saying, listen, everybody, we're not stealing nothing. But listen, the fact that they said we got to kill him lets you know that they felt something about their guilt. They, they were doing practices that were indefensible, so they had to kill the messenger. They had an opportunity to repent, but instead they hardened their hearts. Listen, God does not bring the, the threat of judgment in order to be mean. He brings the threat of judgment so that you would repent. That's what it says in Ezekiel 33, 11. This is what God says. Tell them as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn away from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? I feel like Jesus could be saying the same thing in his time. Listen, I'm calling you out and I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. But instead they're saying, listen, I'm not even going to pretend like I'm innocent. I'm just going to kill you because I'm frustrated that you're calling me out. We don't need to miss a godly rebuke as an opportunity to repent. That means that we ourselves have to be very careful of a quick reaction to negative feedback. Maybe there's some truth there. I didn't, maybe it didn't feel good. Maybe it could have present, been presented better. But maybe I should pause and go, is, is this me? 
do I have an opportunity here to repent? Or will I harden my heart and shoot the messenger? See, see, those who are hypocritical hate the teachings of Jesus because they require moral action. If Jesus simply made eloquent speeches that impressed people or made people feel good, there would be no issues. Cool, make your speech, Jesus. That's very nice. But because Jesus makes demands, because Jesus expects obedience, this confronts us. And if we are not willing to repent, it actually makes us hate him. So we keep going in, in verse 19 and 21. We, we, we understand this, that whatever Jesus judges will be condemned. In verse 19, it says, Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. I don't know if y'all know this, but it's not customary to be mad at trees and say mean things to them, and then they die the next day. Okay, that's not a customary thing. Even if you don't like the tree. Maybe sure you're, you're, I had a tree that, that, that is just so many leaves. If I could just tell it to die, I would have told it to die. Okay, that's not normal. We don't have that power to do that. See, but here's the deal. Jesus, when he judges something, it will be judged. When he levels a judgment, it's not a question or not if that thing will be judged. This is another reason that we need to understand the whole circumstance about the fig tree. It's a metaphor. So Jesus judges the fig tree, and the fig tree withers. And then we see Jesus judging the temple. Listen, just as that tree was judged, that temple, the very temple where he was at, was judged 50 years later. That temple was destroyed and has never been rebuilt. I don't know what kind, of, what, what kind of heavy judgment that you think that is. But Jesus said it is cursed and it withered. We have to obey Jesus because his judgments come to pass. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. But what about the one who doesn't believe? They are under judgment and have not passed from life but remain in death. I didn't realize when I was preparing this sermon how sobering it would be. But I got to follow what the scripture says. Jesus is not playing games or pulling punches in this passage. So instead of this fruit that is bad and disgusting and that hurts people, Jesus wants to see the fruit of sincere faith persevering prayer and forgiveness. In verse 22, Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he, what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive your wrongdoing. What's interesting is Peter goes, Jesus, the tree died. And Jesus is like, that ain't even that big a deal. <laughs> like, like, I know the tree died, but if I wanted to move him out, I could do that too. <laughs> and then he begins to illustrate the type of fruit that he wants to see. 
that obeying Jesus should show itself and believe in prayer. Now, I have to pause and make a caveat here because you can look at this verse and go, I can have whatever I want to have. Okay, let's pause. Jesus is not a genie, okay? He's speaking in hyperbole. Hyperbole is an exaggeration, but it's not a lie. So if I were to come to you and say, I'm hungry as a hippo, your reaction wouldn't be, he's lying. He'd be like, he's really hungry. <laughs> that's, that's, that's sometimes, hey man, Thanksgiving just happened. I'm not hungry as a hippo right now, okay? <laughs> so when Jesus is saying, I, when you pray, I want you to have such confidence that as you pray, you believe that you have received it. He's, he's saying, in other words, I want you to have faith when you pray. I want you to have a lot of faith when you pray. I want you to believe that my disposition towards you is good and it is one of love and that I am standing here willing to give you what you are asking. This is not Jesus lying, but rather revealing our need for a posture of faith and God's posture to answer prayer. So the author of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews eleven six, 6, he says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. He's saying, when you come to me for prayer, you're not just saying words. You're not just, just repeating things. I have a disposition to draw near to you, to answer you. And beloved, even his no is a no of love. See, persistent, reverent prayer is what Jesus wanted to see in the temple. Imagine he walked into the temple and there was reverence and there was prayer and there was there's wholehearted pursuit of God. This is what he wanted to see, but he didn't see that. And so the temple was judged. Beloved, that's what he wants to see in the church. That we will be a people of persistent, heartfelt, faithful, reverent prayer. That's the fruit that Jesus wants to see. That, that's the fruit that he sees and he goes, mm, that's good. I like, I like, I like how, that one, how that one tastes. Listen, obeying Jesus not only shows itself in, in persistent prayer, it shows itself in a disposition of forgiveness and loving your neighbor well. So he's saying two things. Listen, the fruit I want you to bear is that you would pray with faith and that you would forgive those who wrong you. Now, potentially, the treatment of the Gentiles in the temple may have been due to unforgiveness for past conflicts. I don't know if y'all know this, there's a lot of wars between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it could have been really easy for the Jewish leaders to go, well, it doesn't matter what happens in the court of the Gentiles. Who are they anyway? You remember how much they didn't mess with us? How they've exiled us? How they're still oppressing us? Who cares if they have a place to play? Let's sell the stuff. Going to a God of forgiveness must influence us to be a people of forgiveness. So, so, so beloved, the, the fruit that Jesus wants to see is a fruit of devotion to God and the fruit of love and care to our neighbors. That's the type of fruit that Jesus rejoices in. And let's be honest, when you have had and experienced the fruit of loving God and loving your neighbor, it felt good to you too. God is not calling you simply to deny yourself so that you'll just be a person of self-denial, but so that you would deny yourself and have true life. That you would deny yourself and have the fruit that gives you and those around you a sense of joy. Let's be a people 
that bear good fruit. Now, here's the deal. Whenever you're reading the scripture and you, and you sense the harshness and the judgment, I fear that some of our move is to go, is to look around us and go, who is Jesus talking about? Right? I know that guy over there. He, you know, you, there's all the things you could be thinking about, right? But let's pause. But before we take any biblical command and try to apply it to someone else, it has to first be applied to us. And here's the reality. Jesus was judged on a barren tree for our lack of fruit. This is what 1 Peter 2, 24 says. Jesus, he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Beloved, the fruitfulness of Jesus saved us from judgment. He is the only person who has ever lived who only bore good fruit. There there could be no credible judgment made against him. Yet he ended up on a judgment tree, crucified for our sake. We should be judged for our sins. Yet Jesus was judged in our place. I want, you to, I want you to feel something. You felt the weight of those judgments that Jesus was saying. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is thrown into the fire. You, you felt the weight of that. But if you feel the weight of that, you should feel the love and care of Jesus, that he took that judgment for you. So that you can come to him and you don't got to lie. You don't got to be like, I always bear good fruit. Don't, don't play yourself. Okay, listen, you don't got to lie. But no, I got bad fruit. I have messed up. But Jesus, you were judged in my place. So just like Tom was talking about in the kids' catechism, that justification, that that when I trust in Jesus, that, that my sinfulness has been placed on him and his righteousness has been placed on me. And I can go to God with a clear conscience that is clean, not because I'm actually clean and of myself, but because I've been covered by the blood of Jesus. Not only does the fruitfulness of Jesus save us from this judgment, the resurrection, of pow- the resurrection power of Jesus produces good fruit in us. Remember what he says? He says, he says and first, first Peter says that, that by his wounds you have been healed. What type of healing is this talking about? It's just talk, talking about moral healing. Listen, the reality is, you and me don't have capacity to bear fruit to the glory of God. Not in of ourselves. But, but we do now because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. Listen, we don't have the stuff in, in, in and of ourselves to produce the kind of fruit that is honorable to God and that serves our neighbor. I don't know about you, but I've I've spent some time with myself, okay? I'm jacked up. (laughs) But there's one who says, I know that you don't have that power within you, but the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Beloved, he puts the seed of God's word in our hearts so that we can bear fruit to his glory. 
Now, that's the reason to come to Christ if you have not yet. That if you look at your own self, like, my, and if you're struggling to understand your fruit, go to your closest friends, just ask them about yourself. But beloved, you can have a clean slate, a judgment that is passed from you onto Christ. And not only that, you could have the capacity, the God-given capacity to bear fruit that honors him and serves your neighbor well. So what are we to do about this? How do we live? Listen, we have to be people who cultivate faith-filled prayer. And I'm kind of going to go back to what I said in the beginning. It really doesn't matter if I give you the strategy if you don't have the desire. Okay? So when I, when I see the type of fruit that Jesus wants, that it is faith-filled, continual, reverent prayer, I go, Jesus, teach me that. Teach me how to pray. This is one of the things that Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. In other words, he says, keep trying. <laughs> keep asking it, keep asking it, keep asking. You want to learn how to pray? Pray. You want to learn how to pray? Keep praying. You want to learn how to pray more? Pray some more. <laughs> like, like, the way to pray is that you develop a habit of prayer, which is hard. But you just keep trying. There's two really, really uh, uh, tangible ways you can do that. I'll give it to you. One, and I've said this a lot. Y'all can grow tired of me saying this. But Jesus gave us this prayer. He gave us this prayer called the Lord's Prayer that gives us some categories. (laughs) (laughs) Beloved, if you, in your time of prayer, would break the, the Lord's Prayer down to one or two sentences and let that inspire you towards prayer, you will develop a habit of prayer. Another way is one of our, our elders says, hey, I use the Version Bible app. It has a thing that... <laughs> Don't the boy need to learn how to sneeze quieter? <laughs> if somebody knows how to teach that, help. Oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> the Bible app has a, has a two to three minute a day guide for prayer. I, I like to get real practical, but listen, the practical don't matter if you don't want to. So if you want to pray, put in the word. And then we seek to extend forgiveness to others. Listen, if we continue to look at our Savior on that barren, cursed tree, that he was there for our sins because he loves us and because he extended forgiveness to us, beloved, that will make your heart more tender towards the prospect of forgiveness. The more you meditate on your forgiveness, the more you have a posture of love and forgiveness towards others. So y'all, Jesus wants to see the faith that produces the fruit of prayer and forgiveness. And the great thing about it is he's given us the power to do that as well. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that we would take every uh, part of your word seriously, even the parts that are not always happy to hear. Lord, you care about, about us bearing good fruit that honors you and loves our neighbor. So, Lord, we recognize that we have not done that in the past and that without your help, we don't have the capacity and power to do it.
But Lord, you have promised to forgive us and to fill us with your Holy Spirit. So cleanse us of our sin and help us to live lives that honor and glorify you. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.